0: Please rise for their majesties of Royally Obsessed, the
2: podcast for all things royals.
1: Three
2: cheers for His
0: Majesty the King. Welcome back to Royally Obsessed. I'm Roberta.
1: And I'm Rachel.
0: And we have a very special Thanksgiving episode. We're talking all about The Crown Season 5. We're throwing out the script for our other episodes. Throwing it out. It's gone. (laughs) It's gone. It's in the trash. We're talking about The Crown this episode is amazing. We're so excited to get into it. Of course, there will be spoilers ahead for season five. So if you haven't watched yet, save this episode and then listen to it after you've watched. And also, next week, we'll be talking all about what the royals have been up to. King Charles' first state banquet. Megan's Tonight Show appearance that's what not happened? happening. So confusing. What's going on? A big question mark there. So much more that they've been up to. We're saving that for next week. So now okay and i know we're chomping at the
1: bit to talk about the crown i just want to do a quick quick mention of our earthshot event we cannot wait to see some of you in boston on december 1st this is right on the heels of thanksgiving i can't believe it we also wanted to just acknowledge how surprised and happy we were that tickets sold out so fast but please note we're testing the waters with events like this so there will be so much more to come in 2023 so stay tuned follow us on at royally obsessed podcast on instagram Trust us. There will be a lot more. And we appreciate you. DM us if you're going to be in town. Maybe the stars will align and we can meet up in another way. But uh, we are excited. All right, Roberta. Oh, I'd
0: love if we could meet up with some listeners there that um, that might be on the wait list for the event or that we just, that just couldn't get around to getting a ticket. We would love that. So please reach out to us. And now our chat about the crown. Here it is. Rose, we're so lucky to be joined today by Tarira Mazzezawa. She's a contributor to The New York Times, The Cut, Condé Nast Traveler, and she regularly writes about culture and style. So flashback to The Crown Season 4, when Diana, played by Emma Corrin, hit the scene, Tarira wrote a very thoughtful piece in The New York Times that always stuck with us about Diana's legacy from generation to generation, particularly her meaning to the African diaspora. Tarira, we're so lucky to have you with us today.
2: Hi, guys. I'm so happy to be here, too.
1: I just want to dive in and say that we were supposed to record with Tariro last week, and code (laughs) red, we did not finish The Crown in time. And thankfully, she was so flexible and punted to this week. And I think it gave us all time. I finished the season about six minutes before we are hopping on this Zoom. (laughs) Rachel, under the wire right
0: there. I love it. I love it. I did, too. I finished last night because it was a lot. It was 10 hours of so much, and I feel like... I, the three of us even probably are, you know, watching it with a fine tooth comb and trying to get everything out of it that we can. So let's get, get into room. one.
1: I was going to say, did you finish it in time, Tariro?
0: Oh my gosh. I was going to say, I wish I could be graceful and be
2: like, yeah, I just wanted to punt it to this week. I wasn't <laughs> done watching either. It was a slog. It was a journey. I love the show, but it just took so much of my attention.
1: And it was a bit of a slower burn than I would have liked. It was for me
0: too. Yes. I can't
1: get, wait, let's, let's get into our gut reactions. like this
0: Yeah. Was. Raw reactions. Let's go around. So Rachel, do you want to start us off?
1: I feel like Tariro, let's go with what you were just saying. It was a slog.
2: Oh my gosh. So I've loved, I loved the first four seasons and this one for me was a miss in so many different ways, like from the casting to like some of just so many different choices just didn't work for me. So my overall reaction is just that this was my least favorite season and I'm hoping that the next one just really comes back so strong it was just, it was hard to
0: watch. Yeah. I feel that as well, because I think also as it gets closer and closer to the time that we're all familiar with, we're all a little more critical and a little more, like we almost know some of the things that happen behind closed doors and we can fill in the blanks a little bit with our own imagination. So I think, I was much more critical this time. I, I loved season five, though, I think. My overall feeling is I loved it. I, I can't not love The Crown. But I felt really that it was disjointed. I didn't feel like the through line was there for me. And a little bit of the metaphors that Peter Morgan used throughout the show were too heavy-handed. The decommissioning of the yacht was just so <laughs> in your face. Like, I feel like we're a little bit smarter than that. We don't need to be hit over the head with the metaphors. I don't know. Yeah, Rachel, what's your I, thought? So
1: I agree wholeheartedly with both of you. First, I was going to say, I was so mad at myself when on the first episode, I was watching it. I told Roberta this. And I... Got my phone out and was scrolling a little bit, and I was like, why am I not so immersed in this? And I felt just like I was, I didn't want to tell people that, honestly. I just think it was a little bit slow moving for me, but at the same time, too fast. Like the the the, there was so much that was glossed over that were massive, massive things. And I think the crown does such a a great job when they go in depth. Like I loved the episode with Mohammed Al-Fayed. I loved those sort of deep dives into those different characters, and I thought. It was just so much crammed into this 10 episode arc and not a lot of time for to add a voice to it, to have that exploration of some of the more impactful things that really did happen in particular, like the, the well, at the end of Charles and Diana's marriage.
2: Yeah, absolutely. this seems like such a small thing, but I would have loved a little bit more on like the revenge dress, for example, or all yes. of Diana's choices. Like I didn't understand... Diana's motivation and for somebody who used style in such a smart way like we didn't go in depth with that or her interactions at the hospital I feel like those images are so impactful and we are also familiar with them and there were just moments where they could have gone in depth with those but instead like we saw the dress for less
1: than a minute you know it was a couple seconds i was like what is that didn't have any point of view on it it was so quick just really repeating what happened i found myself thinking
0: you either fully commit to the diana storyline or you don't and this felt like it was straddling both worlds a little too much like i did love the sleeveless turtlenecks and i love that they showed some of her you know, collegiate sweatshirts and bike shorts outfits, but it wasn't enough fashion for me. And that's, that maybe is just me. I just love that aspect of Diana so much, but I didn't feel like there were a lot of episodes where she just, Elizabeth Debicki wasn't even really in it at all. That was where I was kind of not so much in love with the show.
1: Well, and I did like, Roberta, you said something separately when we were talking about this episode just about how when Diana does appear in the scene, maybe I'm jumping ahead to our favorite character accidentally. No, let's jump ahead. Let's um, go. <laughs> I was going to say where you were like, anytime Diana did appear to Elizabeth to Vicky, it kind of took your breath away, the resemblance. I'll let you finish that thought that you had.
0: Yeah, just kind of just like Diana, I think when... What I imagine it would be like if you were in the room and Diana walks in, it kind of takes the air out of the room. And that's how I felt when Debicki was on screen was that I just felt like this is this is Diana and my breath was taken away. And then to not have that very much, especially in the first half of the season, it was episodes one through five. It was just not that many appearances. I think the last half of the season really made up for that in that we saw, you know, the panorama interview and all of the behind the scenes of that. But so our next, our next prompt is favorite character, which I feel like this is getting into it maybe with some of our choices. Elizabeth (laughs) to Vicky, I don't know. So what's your favorite character, Tariro?
2: I loved Muhammad. I think it was a combo of like how he was that. portrayed. Just the acting was so good. And he was funny. He was charismatic. Even if you didn't want to love his actual goal you kind of admired how hard he was working and how committed he was to this thing. And I found that moment when they won the Oscar for Chariots of Fire so touching. Yes. I just, I thought he was great. And I'm definitely jumping ahead here, but- Jump, jump, we can go all over. He was also just in my favorite scene, which was the polo match. With him and Diana, that little moment, it was lighthearted. I don't think we got enough lighthearted this season. It was funny. It was sweet. You sort of saw why she gravitated toward him, even if his motivations weren't always the
0: purest. That's what, that's the scene, what I was picturing when I said that, like, it takes the air out of the room because that scene, Diana... I guess Elizabeth Debicki improvised that whole moment where she's like, is there an expensive watch in this bag? She improvised all of that. They said that there was nothing in the bag. She came up with that on the spot. And there was that kind of jokey rapport between even the two actors. It's Salim Da. I just looked it up. Who plays Mohamed al I am 100% with you. That's who I wrote down. as That was my favorite, favorite scene
1: thing. as well. And I think that part of what I loved about it and one of my disappointments again with season five was that I felt like Diana just didn't, as The reason we adore Diana is because, yes, she was going through all of this horror behind the scenes with her marriage and just kind of what how she was treated by the monarchy, but she was charming. She was charismatic. She was funny. She was downcast, I feel like, in the early days of her um, coming, you know, she was young when early in her marriage, but I think she really found her power and confidence. And this season, which takes us all the way up to their divorce and a little past that, really didn't capture that. And I think in that scene at the polo match, we got to see her kind of like the dody dody and it's, you know, the, the double name thing. I just, yeah. I, yeah. I loved that. And it was, is this unanimous that that was our favorite scene for season five? Favorite character. I think, so. I think we're on favorite
0: character. Oh, I thought is, we
1: jumped ahead a little to season oh, oh, oh. five. But oh, both. that scene. Yes.
0: yes, both, both. Totally. And the, Dolce Gabbana shirts, the printed shirts that Mohammed Al-Fayed wears. Like every time he's in those printed shirts, I was like, the confidence that this just, little man oozes is amazing.
2: He's just so extra, but like it was yes. it was great. And even like, what was his name? Sidney Thompson. Sidney. Yes. Yes. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. So you know, very dynamic, was so interesting. And even sort of understanding Mohammed's own racism, which is what I got in watching mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. he's still ended up being like a strong character for me, which I yeah. feel like is a feat. Well, yes. I thought
1: that the beauty of that that entire episode as well was to see that initial cruelty and then understand Mohammed, his character, just his obs- true obsession with the crown and how that pivoted and, you know, he elevated Sydney so high because he was the mm-hmm. king's valet and just that, that commitment the, all the way through to his love of the monarchy for Mohammed. <laughs> Is your favorite character someone we've already said, Rachel? So I was torn. I was going to say um, definitely Diana, but I also thought Olivia Williams was fantastic as Camilla because oh, she yeah. was another one that I don't think is getting enough credit for the uncanny resemblance. I think there there was the moment where she, you know, after the panorama interview where the, she peers out from the window and pulls the curtain back. And I believe I meant to check on Getty if that's an exact replica image of her looking out when she's kind of under, you know, lockdown because of the media. Um, I just was like, that looks exactly like Camilla in that era. And yeah, I thought she was terrific.
0: I agree. I my only gripe with that was that I felt like Camilla was so two dimensional in the first half of the season. And then really gained a lot of personality in the latter half of the season it was almost like I just felt like two different people worked on each half like the first five episodes Mm. versus the last five it might have been how I watched it too like I really sped through the last five but I felt more attached to those last five because Camilla to me doesn't have any real lines in the first half and then she really comes to life when she hires Mark Boland, the spin doctor, mm-hmm. and she has those scenes where her car is about to get towed and she's like, Diana would never have this happen. So I feel like, yeah, I, I loved Olivia Williams as that. I think since Tariro picked Muhammad, I'm going to have to go with Amelda Staunton as the queen. Mm. I mean, classic, but also because so <laughs> Tariro's many- face right now. <laughs> sorry, so my I, jaw
1: just dropped. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: I do think though there were so many scenes where she didn't have to say a word and it was all in her expression, her eyes. There was just so much communicated in those moments. And to kind of go up against Charles really pushing her off the throne for so much of the season is that's the one of the biggest storylines there is, is is just not even saying anything back to him but just the emotion that that must she she really conveyed that to me. I think she did a wonderful job. I
1: don't know. To reaction. We need yes, to hear a reaction.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, this is
2: connected to just my broader dissatisfaction with the casting this season. Okay. I'm so I'm so sorry. Um I I think she's an amazing actress and I think Dominic West is a great actor. Yeah. I just didn't connect with them in their roles. I don't know what exactly that was about because I've seen them both in so many things and just I I feel like a fan but it just didn't connect for me like Mm. and I don't know what I would have done to fix it like I didn't I mean I think we've all heard this a million times by now but I was just like really I'm supposed to believe this is Prince Charles I know I want to spend some time
1: on that topic for a second because I think that you're right that so much was about Dominic West's appearance but I think when I tried to take this like a a, a more pulled back view of this, I feel like I think of Charles as a little bit more fumbling and a little bit more mopey. And that was not at all a part of season five. He was just so like empowered and confident. And I get that we're getting to see his side, but it was so in his favor. And a lot of it was like also like a little press release, like the Prince's Trust episode. Mm. Like, you know, it was just, it was fascinating to me. And the appearance on top of it really threw me off. It was, well, that yeah, was a big question I, like I, had, West,
0: I had for you guys, because I don't know how to answer this question, but that kind of dovetails with this is that do you guys feel like the crown painted Diana as more unstable this season than, like, I just felt like that was being pushed toward us a little too much? And that's not the impression that I've gotten from, you know, researching and reading about her in the news. That's completely out of left field for me that Charles was really. It was almost a little bit too PR for him in this in this season, and Dominic West, you know, did him so many favors in the attractiveness. <laughs> I'm department. nodding so
1: hard, Roberta. Do you see me nodding? Yes, true. I know Diana, you want to do it. Like,
0: in. is Peter Morgan trying to tell us Diana was unstable? That's my question. Absolutely, I feel like that was the takeaway. Like,
2: it was definitely presented as Diana was not only depressed and struggling through this; she was also crazy. You know, and even just like the opposite side of that. Charles is like doing the Prince's Trust. He's hanging out with these young people. He's making a difference. There was that disclosure statement at the end about how much of a difference the Prince's Trust has made. And then on the other end, you have Diana, who's so frivolous and she cares about going on vacations and shopping. And it felt like such a stark contrast in a way that I don't want to see me be uncomfortable, but I, I, I did find myself Googling more about mm-hmm. her mental well-being because of how it was framed. Yes. Yeah. I really felt like Charles
1: was the victim is how it kind of portrayed, even the tampon gate stuff, which I did like how that was brought to life because there is sympathy there. Like the absolute lack of privacy. I liked the theme of the phone tapping. I think there were even some, even some tweets, um, someone in parliament tweeted about the fact that Many people watching, oh, there's Brooklyn in the background, um, <laughs> about the fact that many people watching had to explain what landlines were, and I you know I liked that theme throughout, and you did see have that sympathy during Tampongate, but he just came across as the victim the whole way through, and I yeah. it really bothered me
0: like his biggest oh. fault in the very beginning is that he is too intelligent and has to have his really intelligent friends around him on this trip and like has to explain everything historical that they go see the sites it's like that that isn't his biggest fault we all know and there are scenes where he's a little bit mean to her especially toward the end of the season but i i agree i to, i totally feel like they they peter morgan might be gunning for a, a knighthood or something here because <laughs> I, yeah, I can, I don't think he was as fair to Diana as he was to Charles.
2: And, like, to that end, too, just the presentation of William and Diana's relationship. Like, she was constantly burdening him with all of this information that he didn't want. And Mm. I don't know that we have any of those details. And obviously not not a documentary. But it felt like that type of stuff was really leaning into the narrative of this unstable woman.
0: Yeah. Like, how dare she hurt her children's mental health by telling them these private details about her love life like I didn't feel like William would have reacted that way if she said this is my special friend I don't know like the special friend thing is a weird phrase but to say like oh I have a new friend mommy has a new friend like I just don't think he would have been like stop telling me this
1: it just was weird to me I think that part also really bothered me, just that, you know, William's kind of embarrassment. I do think it was uncomfortable for him, and he was much older, and we've read a little bit about that over the years that, you know, especially with the Panorama interview, him not, none of the Lord Dyson report was evident at that time, and I think just him being at school and and watching it in his headmaster's office, I think we know a lot about that, but it just felt like a miss as well that he was meeting with the Queen, you know, Imelda Staunton, and just being so like embarrassed just knowing how much he went to bat for Diana all the time and they have had had they had such a special relationship.
0: Yeah, totally. So, favorite scene, the horse races. I love that, Teriro. Rachel, do you want, I can go if you want me to jump in on my favorite scene real quick. It's really yeah, go quick. For it. Mine yeah. is also Elizabeth Zabicki because she was just so incredible this season, but it's when she's voting no on the Monarchy program. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the redial on the phone. I don't know. I was like in stitches over that. I, I was watching with my mom. We were both just laughing so hard about She's just, uh, vote no on the Monarchy. No, redial. <laughs> <laughs> no, redial. No, it was so good. It was so, and I just remember those days of like landlines and like voting by telephone and stuff. And that's just funny. Yeah. What about
1: you, Rachel? You know, I was going to say that polo scene is definitely number one when Mohammed Al-Fayed sits down with Diana. But I think the marital autopsy scene, I really, really liked. Mm. Because again, that's totally inferred. That was a way to kind of put some closure on what Diana and Charles had been through. And, but I, I think that it gave this sort of gift to the audience. It gave us what we kind of hope that at least initially when they first sat down that they were able to move past and kind of reflect on what could have been of course it ended differently with them in an argument and all of that stuff and again felt like diana got the shorter end of the stick in that whole scene but i did really like how that was brought in true was yours the polo we did we skip over your scene or it was the polo okay okay perfect perfect
0: all right next thing this is what did you fact check throughout the season? Anything that you had to fact check?
1: Oh, everything.
0: For me. <laughs> yeah,
1: everything. True.
2: The main thing, again, so frivolous, especially because Elizabeth Debicki was just so strong. She was amazing. The height. Mm-hmm. And I know I needed to know how tall she was. And I don't know if it was how it was filmed or what, but I felt how tall she was. And I know Diana was tall. She was 5'10", so was Charles or was, they were the same height and, um very often he would stand like a step above her or or she would stand a step below him. Yes. So in photos, it looks like he's taller. But I, I just felt like she was really tall. And she is. Elizabeth Debicki is 6'3". Wow. She's so tall. She My is really
1: towering in those scenes. Yeah. Did you
2: feel that? Did you guys yes. feel that watching it? I was yes. like,
1: wow. Because even in the scenes where she's by herself in the apartment, I'm like, she's really tall. It really stood out to me. (laughs) She's not standing next to anyone. I'm like, wow, she's tall.
0: Yeah. She's very angular too. I mean, she's gorgeous she's just, she's very um, thin and angular. And so I feel like that kind of stands out to you, but she, I don't think Dominic West was that tall. So the contrast is, I don't know. Rachel, what about you?
1: So I have something that I immediately Googled that is quick. And that is Is Mohammed Al-Fayed still alive? And that was something – I think I knew that he was, but I wanted to confirm it, and he's 96 or 97, which is just so incredible. I'm so curious what his take on this would be if we ever had that opportunity to know. The thing I am going to Google next, because as I fully acknowledge I finished in about six (laughs) minutes before we logged on, um, is I definitely – Want to know more about Penny Natchball. I thought mm. that that was an interesting character or story arc in the middle of the season about Philip and the Queen really not being on the same page about anything in her role, and I don't know much about Penny Natchbull.
0: So. I, like you Rachel, did a quick Google of something that was just so superficial and that was that, did King George V have a parrot? Because I was <laughs> like, what? And like this scene is so random. There's a parrot, there's a breakfast table, who are these people? And so I Googled that. Yes, he did have a parrot. It was pink and gray, not blue and yellow. Mm, fun fact. And he fact. did eat breakfast with it at the breakfast table. And this exact entire scene basically played out about the Romanov rescue plan. They were asked if they would want them here. They said no. And basically, we saw what happened to the Romanovs. That was really upsetting for me, I think, because I knew how Nicholas Tsar Nicholas and the Tsarina died. I knew that they were all slaughtered basically by the Bolsheviks and so I knew that was coming and so to see them like posing for the picture I was like oh no oh no oh no and I just it was really traumatic to watch that play out and to know that the you know British royals said that they weren't allowed over here and there are a lot of reasons why of course we were in you know the World War One was Germany the Tsarina was German there was you know political reasons as well which I had to fact check and look up which is that also for the next government that was coming up after this revolution to then have hosted the escaped uh, exiled royal family from Russia wouldn't have been a good look for our go- for our the UK's <laughs> government. I'm like thinking. Yeah. So I, I think that that was really interesting. There were a lot of reasons why they said no, but it still was just so tragic. That episode just got me. So that was mine.
1: Yeah. I mean, again, like that was another one where it just like takes you in one. I just there was so much covered in this season. And I guess it always is that way. It just felt felt like a lot. But
0: yeah, I also had to check because I think we knew this before, but Diana's brakes were really cut. Oh, yes.
1: I did want to Google that. I did. Yeah,
0: that she had a problem with her brakes on the way home from a doctor's appointment in 1995. And this was like, well documented. She wrote to her friends about it. She switched cars. Dr. Khan actually testified after her death that there was a moment where she switched from an Audi to a BMW because of problems with her brakes. So I thought that was really interesting to I me. did
1: really like the line at that moment where she's talking to her brother and she's like, oh, I just am due for a service or whatever. I thought that, yeah. that was kind of like <laughs> That's like, <I> feel <laughs> a little, little so levity. Yeah. But, um, yeah. All right, what about – did we have we covered this, the part we like the least and the part we like the most? We kind of talked about this,
2: but for me it has to be just – That yacht metaphor was just too much for me. (laughs) (laughs) And just the way it came back in the final episode,
1: I was like, I thought we were done with the yacht. Like, why are we still here? (laughs) And kind of like a tepid way to end the whole thing, right? Like, I felt like that was the one thing, because again, I finished recently, is just like, it ended so abruptly. And I rewound. I was like, did I look away at the wrong moment and miss something? It just ended so on a weird moment for me.
0: Yeah. And it was, it was, it was so heavy handed with the, the yacht's not working. She's falling apart. She doesn't look as good. Oh, she was in her prime in the 1950s. Like it just so many things where you're like, we get it. It's the queen. Like we get the, it's the monarchy. And and then to show the yacht, the Al-Fayed's Fayed, yacht at the very end and kind of this sleek, beautiful yacht that Diana's about to go on for summer vacation. I thought that was, that was the only interesting part was like, okay, that's kind of, yeah. The yacht symbolism is like so heavy though. Um, My least favorite, I think, of the whole season, season five, was Martin Bashir. Seeing that all play out, I felt like that was really chilling to kind of see behind the scenes now that we know that he really did lie about all these bank statements and forged them. And we know the Lord Dyson report. Just to lie to Earl Spencer's face, blatant face lie, uh, it's one thing to imagine it, but to see it acted out felt really sickening. I feel like it underlined the fact that um, that she was paranoid, you know, for good reason. That was that was my takeaway.
1: I was going to say that was also my least favorite, or just I I don't know. It just really hit me hard the Martin Bashir stuff because we've been covering the the Lord Dyson report so much, and I think. I've been so hard on the fact that, you know, there's a lot of arguments about that conversation being – or everything that played out for Diana, that it was such a pivotal moment that ultimately led to her death. And I think that this – that particular episode of this season really illustrates that quite well because it just was this – you know, she couldn't go back. And even when they show her watching it and everyone watching the interview – it, it was just game over because everything was so public. It was so chilling. And I also thought about how, you know, for the podcast for Royally Obsessed, we had Patrick Jeffson on recently. And if anyone missed that episode, I highly recommend going back and listening to it because hearing his name in season five and realizing what a victim he was of that and how many people were just at Martin Bashir's will that he chose to to do that and do, at any cost. He would brought in so many names and doctored those statements. It it was really, really uh, horrific for me to watch, I think.
2: I thought it was one of the strongest episodes of the season. Yeah. Like I thought it just elicited so much emotion for me. Like, I just felt horrible for her. I was appalled by how many people he was able to fool within the BBC. It made me question, the re- or at least view it more skeptically, the relationship between the Crown and the BBC. Just all of those relationships, I thought...
0: It was just a really strong episode. Mm -hmm. That's what struck me was how I I liked that Peter Morgan included that there were higher ups that were able to kind of question him and never did. And, you know, there were people at the very top, the director general of the BBC that could have said, Martin Bashir, how, what did you use to persuade her and her brother to take this on with a no-name journalist at the time against massive, you know, she even mentioned Oprah Winfrey wanted her as an interview. and to pick the BBC and Martin Bashir over that so many people had to get sign off on this. And we saw a lot of those people in the show, Steve Hewlett, who was, you know, Martin Bashir's managing director, I think for the BBC and, and just either they turned the other, they just looked away or they didn't even question his methods. And that's where it really felt so heavy. And yeah, that's, that really stuck with me to see that all play out.
1: And Diana choosing it because of their credibility, too. And then yeah. it's being just the opposite.
0: And shameless lying. I think that was just like, ugh,
1: it was tough. But let's end on a high note. The part you liked the most out of the whole season. I can jump in. I was just going to say this is more of a reflection. Is I did think it was really interesting that this season was designed around these first person interviews and how much weight that they actually carry and we are on the precipice of Prince Harry's memoir and I think that made me really reflective of what's to come because these you know you had Jonathan Dimbleby Martin Bashir and Andrew Morton in this arc and Harry is really the next one that we're going to definitively get where we get a quite a bit of intel is the presumption
0: from his own mouth yeah totally I I I This is a little bit sad, but it is my favorite part, is some of the scenes and episodes about unrequited love. And in that, I mean Princess Margaret and Peter Townsend. I mean Diana and Dr. Khan. I loved the scene with Hasnat Khan going to the movies and then afterward them just talking on the couch and having such tender moments together. I felt so sad for Diana when it didn't work out. And so that was... I I just the romance. I think I'm I'm a romantic, so I I really liked those scenes.
2: Um I loved seeing Diana in the hospitals. Mm-hmm. I think that was we didn't get a lot of it, but it felt so true to who she was, um or at least who we think we know her to have been, and I just remember the I just remember seeing those images at such a young age. And I think it was something that really mattered to her. So it was nice to still get that kind of glimpse into her life and to know that, you know, she was dating Dr. Khan at the time. And this was like a good, joyful space for her. And I thought as little of it as we got, it was really lovely to see.
1: Yeah, I think we all like those glimmers of just her humanity and what we know about Diana, or or our takeaways. Totally. I was going to throw one more curveball and just like at the end of this wonderful conversation, which I feel like we could keep going for so long. We've barely scratched the surface. But, you know, does, do you feel, obviously it's a dramatization of the monarchy. Does the fiction serve the facts? What I guess is your takeaway about the monarchy from season five? Mm because I can jump in. I feel like it's like vive la Charles. Like it's a little bit, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, this was a real, you know, they were so worried. There was so much about the disclaimer and everything, but I really feel like if Charles watched it, he comes off so strong, you know, and it does almost feel like, you know, a great almost segue into the coronation in 2023.
2: Absolutely. That is something that was on my mind watching this season. I was like, gosh, and now he's king. Like <laughs> this is the, well done. Is, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm like, if we had, I wondered if I would have felt like it was still, I think I would have still felt like it was so pro-Charles if the season had come out a year ago, even, yeah. right? But there is something about him being the king now and watching the show at the same time, where I'm like, how much thought I, it just felt so pro-Charles. But outside of that. My other takeaway is that this is an institution in crisis Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. in a
2: very different way than in prior seasons. Like you really see, despite the yacht metaphor, (laughs) or perhaps in service of the yacht metaphor, (laughs) you really feel that difference of opinion, all these different voices and sort of that fractured relationship between the Queen and Charles. Like, I think you start to see that more and where Diana falls and all of that. So even though this was not my favorite season, I actually think it's a great setup, an opportunity for the next season to be Mm -hmm. a knockout.
0: Yeah, totally. I felt like this season, we saw the consequences of a lot of decisions that were just building toward this big fallout. And that is like these marriages that end up dissolving. We see, you know, even the queen's own marriage kind of hit the rocks with Penny Nashville and that. um, I, I think for me, it was a lot of, in terms of the monarchy, it was a lot of you get chewed up and spit out by the institution. And I think that's what I took away from it was that so many people's lives, the choices that one person makes at the top, they kind of fall apart. And I think I'm just thinking a lot about Princess Margaret and also the kids' marriages. But I think that it's so hard because there's one person at the head of all this that has to decide these things that are a family matter that should be talked out for, you know, weeks and months and years. And it just... It's so much pressure on all these people. You're in a pressure cooker, basically, is what I'm trying to say. And and that's where I, I almost feel sympathy for a lot of the real members of the royal family right now. I think you know, you see Harry and Meghan become chewed up and spit out and then go off on their own. And you wish that some of the people that we saw on the screen were able to do that in their own lives and like Diana. So, but I, I, I don't know. I still love the crown and I think. Oh, I that loved it. Was, it. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I yeah. love it.
1: I think that it was just, yeah, it was such a um, different season, I think, but, but i was I'm so glad we could join and discuss it.
0: Well, season six, too, to think that it's going to open right with her death. I mean, it has to, right? We just saw the yacht. There was That's a few weeks before Diana's death. So we'll have to see the 90s. I'm not ready. <laughs> the, I guess the late 90s, early 2000s is what we'll be watching. Mm-hmm. So Do we know how far are they going? I know we know
2: this, but it's escaping me.
1: I think it's, like, it's definitely year? into when Kate and William meet. I just am not totally sure how far. So that would have been around their... 2005 2006 but I don't know how much further it goes into that I
0: think I read 2006 is when it ends so that's okay. really close that feels really really close to right now which is just wild so
1: Teruro, <sighs> where can our audience keep up with your work what's the best place we are such huge fans of your writing and we are so honored that you would come on the podcast and join us for this conversation.
2: <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. I had so many thoughts and I love that I got to talk to you guys about them. Um, I am on Instagram a little too much and <laughs> not <my> handles, possible. <laughs> just
0: my name. <laughs> awesome. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. This was so much fun. Thanks, guys.
1: What an amazing conversation. Please, please, please send us an email with your thoughts on season five of The Crown. We know you have lots of them. We could barely even cover all of ours. We have so many more, but it is a treasure to be able to talk about this with you.
0: Email us at info at gallerypodcast.com. And till next week. Happy Thanksgiving. Let's save the pod. Happy Thanksgiving. save the pod.
2: Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode.